Well, as we turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, I wanted to propel the year off in the right way to get us on track to, you know, to reset. In, in the business world, uh, they, they call it day one. You know, even though it's not literally your first day, it's like, okay, l- l- let's reset, let's reorganize just like it were day one. And so we come to New Year's and New Year's resolutions, and once a year we kind of um, take a look at that. Maybe we look at you know, our physical uh, well-being or unwell-being, and we think, all right, I'm going to go to that gym or I'm going to do exercise. And the question is, as we sit here today, can you even remember what last year's New Year's resolution was? Probably not, which isn't a great thing. Um, but the Bible isn't, isn't silent on this issue. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, Israel had a series of, of festivals and feasts. And, and part of that was to, to remind them, to, to keep in remembrance the things that had happened before. And so, being that we're not Jews, we, we've dabbled and heard different uh, concepts. We were familiar with the Trumpet of Feasts, or, or you know, Yom Kippur, or Rosh Hashanah, and these kinds of things. But we really should be in tune with those things. And even though we don't necessarily celebrate them the same, there are things that we, we can glean from them. And so I was reading in Leviticus, that's right, Leviticus, uh, there's great things that we can continue to glean from. And Leviticus 23 really takes a look at, at uh, you know, the, the New Year's feast, the New Year's resolution. And the point for Israel was to get the, the year started right. Well, that's exactly what I would like to do. And I, I don't know about you guys. And the question is, well, okay, how? And what did they do? Well, the first thing was in in... in the concept of Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah means head of the year. So th- that's just the, the Hebrew translation of it. So this is the beginning of the head of the year. And so it would, it would sound off with, with the trumpets. And so a lot of the festival and the feast would, would have a lot of trumpets. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the future. And when Jesus comes back, there's going to be trumpets blowing. The, the trumpets are, are an announcement. And so the the period of the, of the Feast of Trumpets was about a 10-day period. Most of their festivals were longer than just like two hours. They'd be like 10 days or a month, something like that. And so it was a time for them to, to reflect. So again, we're in this microwave society where we want to fix everything in 30 seconds, right? And that's just not real. And so they would actually take some time to reflect. Um, in the rabbinic tradition, this time was a time that they would kind of have, have that mentality, that day one mentality of, where am I right now? And, and where I am right now is what seals my fate. Now think about that for a second. If you were to evaluate your life and examine it right now and say, where I'm at right now determines whether or not I go to heaven or hell. How would you feel about that? And, and so that was part of what they wanted to do is reflect and go well if, if that uh, looks like I'm going to be written in the book of death then maybe I should do some things to make an adjustment well 
the rest of some of the feasts are the Feast of Trumpets, which kind of was a, was a day of consecration and a, a day of rest, a day to, to, you know, relax and take time off work. And again, this gives us time to be able to uh, reflect. It gives us time to be able to worship. And so these are great principles for us. But then the big uh, unveiling of the Feast of Trumpets was this, this Day of Atonement, right? The Day of Atonement. And that was the, the, the big day. It was the sin offering. It was, you know, all part of Yom Kippur. And where imagine again, the whole family is going to come in. We're going to self-examine where we're at today. And we're going to begin that by making a great sacrifice for our sins. Why? Because we've sinned. Because this past year has not been a sinless, perfect, stainless, spotless year. And so we need to repent. But then embedded in the feast, embedded in everything that that God does with us, is also joy. And so the the Feast of Booths is a time for them to rejoice and and, and, give praise. Why? Because of the forgiveness of sin. And so... As I looked back in the Old Testament, just kind of reflected on, on Leviticus and the feast, it, it made me think, okay, so what do we do? How do we launch this new year? How do we begin the, this, 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 this new year with, with renewal? What, what about you? Where are you at? What's the most important thing in your life right now? Is it your weight? Or is it your spiritual well-being? And so now is the time to examine. So today we want to look at three ways, three ways that we will see here in First Peter, to, to be obedient children in all our behavior. So when you think about our New Year's resolution, you think about a, a New Year's resolution being something like, you know what I want to do this year? I want to be holy. I want to be holy. I want to get better at that. I want to be like Christ. Um, I want to, what is holiness? What really, you know, I want to be an, an obedient child of God in all my behavior. That's my goal. That, that's my, my New Year's resolution. That's what I'm trying to accomplish. How do I do this? 1 Peter 1.13 gives us a nice blueprint. Therefore... You, you, you want to have a great year? You want to be holy? You want to be an obedient child? Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, gird your minds, keep sober, and have a fixed hope. So, whoever you are, whatever your issue is, you can apply these three things. So what does this look like? Well, let's go back to 1 Peter and just get a little quick little summary background and some context. So 1 Peter 1 through 5, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout the, the region, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So there's a couple of things here that we're going to see. We're, we're going to see who the born-again 
people are. I've mentioned this before. It really is is a shame that we've gotten away from the term born again Christian. Um, seems like more of a 70s term, I guess. But, but that's who we are. You, you are, were dead in Christ. Dead. And you, along with Christ, buried and rose again as a new creature in Christ. You are born again. That, that old guy, that old dog, dead. You're now new in Christ. John 3 gives us a great picture of that when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And so for us then, when we look at 1 Peter, we say, well, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that He sanctifies us, that you may be obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. That, that, that's how we're able to accomplish it. We're not able to accomplish it because we're so amazing. It's because of the grace that was given to us by the sprinkled blood of Christ. Verse 3, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, according to God's great mercy, what's mercy? Getting something that you do not deserve, right? So grace is getting a gift that you don't that you had in it earn. Mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. So you deserve a whooping. That's what you deserve, but you're not going to get it. That's mercy. You deserve a penalty for sin. You do deserve a consequence for disobedience. That's mercy. What you don't deserve is the gift, the free gift of grace. So those are kind of the difference. Well, according to his great mercy has caused us, because of that mercy has caused us to be born again. Not to a dead God, but to a living hope. We have a living hope. Our hope is alive. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. See, our, our, our salvation won't fade away. It, it's not perishable. It will last. Verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while. And so First Peter begins by kind of laying out this. Look, because of what Christ has done for you, you are not the same person you once were. You shouldn't be the same person you once were. I, I've made a path. I've created a path now to be different, to be born again. And so when we look ahead and we think, well, how, how am I going to be holy? I, I, I have a pretty good idea of holy as and I'm pretty far from that. Well, it begins with understanding, well, there's a transition from who you were and as you look forward to what you want to be. Well, it it's driven, driven, not by works, but it's driven by faith. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That the proof of your faith, and this is really interesting, so there's going to be trials. And you know what? A lot of those trials, those are self-inflicted wounds, if we're honest. Oh, I'm in trial right now. I'm having a struggle right now. Really, what? Oh, 
I did this. There's a consequence. You mean there's a consequence for my sin? There's a consequence for my disobedience. Yeah, there's trials that, many trials that we actually create ourselves. And there's some that are just bear traps that are just out there. So we have all kinds of various trials. Verse 7, that the proof then of your faith being more precious than gold. See, gold is it's, it's perishable. Uh, I was thinking this the other day. Why is gold special? Why is diamond special? They're just like rocks and stones. Who cares? Why, why, why do people go crazy over gold? You know, the gold rush. It's like I can eat corn. I can't eat gold. I mean, I, I know the value of a, of a corn crop, right? And why is gold like way more valuable than corn? It doesn't make any sense. But see, that's perishable. It'll go away. The proof of our faith being more precious. Our faith is more precious than gold, which is imperishable, even though tested by fire may be found in the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as an outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So what's being said here? It's, it's, it's really interesting because the, even though there's going to be various trials, they're going to cause us distress, the proof of our faith is our faith. The proof of our faith is our continuing even in these trials, even in distress, we, we, we fight through that and we still love him, even though we don't see him. We still believe in him, even though we don't see him. So the proof of our faith, even through these trials, is that we still have faith and hope and confidence in God. It's a, it's a very, very interesting thing. So, so how, how do we fight through this well verse 13 therefore deep breath therefore gird your minds for action be sober in spirit fix your hope fix your hope completely on the grace that was brought to you so let's take a look at the first one first peter 1 13 gird your mind for action gird your mind for action well, this is a metaphor. It's a metaphor that uh, is used throughout the New Testament. It's a meta- metaphor for battle. And the idea here is, is, is to gird yourself. Well, what's, what's this girding? They wore, um, you know, they wore these like little, little skirts. I just saw this. Uh, there's a, uh, an old movie on, you know, the Turner broadcast of Cleopatra. You know, if you guys remember that old movie with uh, Elizabeth Taylor. And, and I'm sitting there looking at, at the Romans and the Romans, you know, they've got like mini skirts. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that looks really weird. In, in a drawing or a statue or a picture, you kind of don't think much of it. But when you actually see them moving, because in a movie they have movement, you're like, the guy's in a mini skirt. <laughs> right? And then they're going to go out there and do battle. You know, and some of them have like longer robes or whatever. Well, what they would do is they would gird their loins. So they, you know, I don't want to 
skirt tripping me up in battle and you know fighting and so they would tighten that up they would get ready for battle this is life or death and so the idea is to to prevent yourself from being being hampered or tripped up does that have application for us do we live in a world that is trying to trip us up or and are we ready for that are we just frolicking around and you know looking at the the birds and the and the flowers in the field and not realizing hey there there is wickedness there is is evil there is trials and temptations out there ready to to do us harm not just harm but the idea here is is battle you you, you talk to a, a soldier a warrior about battle it's it's not a game. It's not a movie. It's not a joke. They immediately are drawn to the life and death of what true military battle is. That's the idea that we're supposed to get when we see a phrase like, gird yourself up. You want to be holy? You want to be obedient? Then be ready. Are you ready? Would you walk outside if it were pouring rain without a rain jacket? Would you go out when it's freezing cold without a, a, a warm coat? You prepare yourself. You prepare yourself for whatever the, the situation might be. So gird, well, gird what? Gird your mind. So not, not gird your fists, right? Gird your, your, your mind for action. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the Greek here, it comes from the word uh, dianoi, which is where we get dialectal, right? Dialect. And so we, we think of rhetorical speaking, we took dialect. And so the idea then is, the way the Greeks looked at it was, well, the, the way to get your, your a proper understanding, the way to understand in your mind what, what a truth is, is we're going to have this side present a conversation, and then we're going to have the other side present. Does that sound familiar at all? Kind of like a debate, right? And so that was the idea of, of, of using your mind. The idea was, hey, be ready and understand both sides. You, you, you got to know what's going on across the aisle. And again, any military expert, uh, the experts that have written books over you know, centuries of time, they, they, they were geniuses in understanding the opponent's moves. That's what made them great tacticians. They didn't just know how, how their soldiers fought. They knew how the other ones were fighting. And so, you know, if you were an old, you know, British, you know, officer and you want to, you know, march out there in your real pretty little rows and go fight the Indians, that's not going to work so well. Because you're out there in the middle of the street and they're hiding in the bushes. And so you have to change your tactics, right? You have to have a, a good understanding. You, you can't be lazy. When we talk about girding your minds, this is not a lazy act. This is an act of, of deep uh, preparation. And that's the idea. And it says gird your minds for what? For action. Gird your minds for action. I, I, one of my favorite books, it's called It's Your Ship. And, and, you know, I, I wasn't in the Navy, and so I don't have a, a, a real clear understanding of that. But these ships are like cities. You've got ships that have 4,000 people on them. 
the interesting thing about a ship is there's all kinds of different departments. There's all kinds of different, you know, uh, levels. On this ship, these guys have, like, normal duties, like mopping and cleaning the bathroom and cooking and, you know, just normal duties that, you know, you would take care of, like, in your house. But this is also a battle-ready ship ready to do war in the water, ready to be prepared because if they don't, they're going to die. And you can imagine again that you're on this ship with 4,000 people and it might come down to some 19-year-old kid reading a little bloop, bloop, bloop on the screen the right way, doing his job the right way, being serious about what he's doing because the whole ship, and that's why in this book, It's Your Ship, they make a point of how important and vital every single role is within the ship. It's not just about the captain. It's about every single person on that ship doing their, their job. Well, for us, if we're going to be, be ready to be holy, we, we, we've got to gird, we've got to prepare our minds and understand we, we've got to be ready for action. What's that action again? There are going to be things that hamper you. There are going to be things that tempt you. And it shouldn't be a real shocker, surprise. We know what's outside the door, right? We know what tempts us with our neighbors. We know what tempts us at the workplace. We know what tempts us in the community. We know what tempts us on TV. We know what tempts our flesh. We, we know what tempts us on the computer. These are not surprises that just come out of nowhere. We know. So be prepared. Be ready for action. We're called to live an action-oriented life. We just went over this a couple weeks ago. Love is patient, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You know, that's the fruit of the Spirit, right? So there's action behind what love is. You don't just say it, love. You do it with actions. You don't keep accounts of wrong suffered. You don't brag. You're not arrogant. You prefer the other one. You, you bear other people's burdens. You have hope. And so when we say, gird your minds, be ready for action, you, you have to be ready to live out the Christian faith. We have a verse in Proverbs 23, 7. It says, so a man thinketh, he liveth. So a man thinketh, what, what swirls around in his brain, that's what comes out. That's what's going to come out from, from head to heart to hand, right? From the things that you think, the things you contemplate, the things that, you know what, you get weak in your mind and you don't gird yourself and you think, ah, maybe that's not so bad for me. Maybe I can do a little bit of it. Maybe I can taste it. No. Um, that's not preparing yourself for battle. The idea here then to gird your minds for action is get your mind right. Get right. Get your mind right. One of the things that is so lost in sports, uh, you, you think of, of football games as all the mental preparation, the, the mental chess game that's going on where, where these guys, and especially in the NFL, I mean, they don't sleep. 
the coaches go and they, they get their minds right and they go, okay, these are the things that we want to do. These are the things that we're good at. These are our plays. These are our, our athletes and these are how they're good. Here's the problem. This team has a whole other set of people who are trying to compete against us, do battle with us, and undermine what we're doing. So we have to think this thing out. That's the idea behind girding your minds for action. Well, the second element that we want to look at if we want to be obedient children in all our behavior is keep sober in spirit. I don't think it's a, a, a long shot to think, but when immediately when you hear that word sober, what do you think of? You, you, you immediately connect that with, with alcohol and not being drunk, right? Be sober. Well, it goes beyond that. It's the idea of, of clear-headed. Sober is, is, is clear-headed. That's what the word means. And it does have that implication here uh, of, of not being intoxicated, not just by drinking, could be drugs, but the idea here is you are to keep clear-headed, clear-minded in your spirit, spiritually speaking. You, you, you got to be ready for, for good judgment. You, you can't be weak. You, you've got to be strong. You've got to set your mind by, by clearing your head. You, you, you can't have all these different... Uh, false religions and false philosophies and, and, and being you know, intoxicated so where you can't think straight. No, you're called to gird your minds ready for action. How? By being sober. Be, be clear. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, we... we we really can't read this enough because we can get so far away from this concept that we forget. So here's, here's the, the metaphor. The metaphor here is we're, we're trying to be holy. We're trying to be obedient children. What God's trying to get you and me to understand is, you know what? You're in a battle. Do, do you not get this? You are in a spiritual battle each and every day. Gird yourself for this battle. Get your mind right. Get it straight. Here in Ephesians 6, we, we, we get even, an even clearer um, example of, of why our heads need to be clear. Because you know what? We're getting ready to go fight. We're getting ready to go battle. You wouldn't want to be groggy if you knew, hey, tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, you know, I'm going to go do battle. I don't know how long the war is going to last. I don't know if there's going to be a battle, a war, a skirmish. Uh, I want to be ready. I want to be well rested. I want my mind clear. I, I want to be right. Why? This is, this is what's happening in our lives. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Gird yourself. And in the strength of His might, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm. Against what? Against the schemes of the devil. Not, not just the devil, but the devil's schemes. So we're not just fighting the devil himself. We, we, there's schemes that the devil has. There's, there's minds. There's, there's traps. The schemes of the devil, verse 12. Why? 
for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's before that. But against the rulers, against the the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you guys understand? If you want to be holy, if you want to be obedient children, you, you better be ready for battle because there's a whole array of warriors. They're coming to get you. This is not a joke. This is not a game. And you wonder why you give in to temptation. You wonder why you do... I don't know why I did it. It was dumb. You ever hear that from anybody? I don't know. Did you know better? Yeah. Why'd you do it? I don't know. Because you went into battle not prepared. You went into battle thinking that, you know what, this is a joke. It's not a joke. God can't be more clear in, in trying to help us to be prepared. Therefore, verse 13, take up your armor. Get ready. Take it up. Be re- put it on. Would you, would you go out there without your armor? No way. You would put on every single little piece of, of armor. You got Kevlar, face mask. I mean, when I, when I think of, of, of our soldiers and, and what they wear, you know, my, the only thing I can judge it by are the movies. And I look and I go, I want more. You know, every, every movie, it seems like I see different stuff. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I, the knee pad thing. I get that. Because if I got to dive down on the ground, it's like, you know, first thing you're going to hit is your knees. And, and I want the Kevlar thing. And, and I'm sitting there looking going, I want the whole thing covered. Every inch of my body, I would want covered if I could, right? Just probably gets too heavy. So why don't we get this with our spiritual life? Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Are you doing everything to be holy? Are you doing everything to stand firm? Are you doing everything to be ready for battle? Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish the flaming missiles of the evil one. So, so by being in the word of God, this is our defense. This is how we fight back. We're not defenseless. We, we can fight back. Fight back against what? Flaming missiles. Flaming. Not only are you walking outside and there's a battle, but again, you've got a picture that there's flaming missiles and there's, they're, they're all pointed at you. They're, they're looking to get you. Not just random shots, but attacking you. All the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is what? The Word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Be in the Word and be in prayer. You, 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 you need to gird your mind for action. How? Be clear-headed. Be sober. The idea here is be sharp. Be sharp. Be, be ready for battle. Your sword is the word of God. Be sharp. Be ready to make a defense. It's essential. Essential. Well, finally, we see 
the final piece to this, this holiness and this behavior, fix your hope in Christ. Does that seem odd? Does that seem, we've been kind of talking about battle and girding your minds and, and being sober. And then it comes to fix your hope. You know, God could have very easily just come at us with the fear factor. Anytime I hear people who talk about the Old Testament, it's this mean and angry God, it tells that they've never read the Old Testament. They have no concept of the Old Testament. You want to see God's mercy, gentleness, kindness? Read the Old Testament and see how gracious and amazing God is to his people. What you will also see is God the Father, the judge of the universe, there are consequences for disobedience. And there is a line that you can cross and you don't want to go to God's woodshed because there is a woodshed. There's a line. I don't know what that line is. That's the scary part. I can read in the Old Testament. I can see God has forgiven every sin you could possibly imagine. God has forgiven Praise God for that. That's our hope. So God gives us this hope. He shares this hope with us, reminding us, look, you need to to fear and respect me. But there is hope. I I knew that there were things, if I did that, I'm going to have to face my dad. And you know what? I didn't really want to do that. I don't want to go down that road. Um. And so the fear factor was there, but we weren't driven by fear in our relationship. It wasn't just about that. And God's not just about that. God doesn't just tell us, hey, obey me or I kill you. Obey me or I'll punish you. Obey me or else. We see again throughout the scriptures, this grace and this mercy over and over and over again. And that's the problem. Is because if you are given grace, and if and if mercy has been given to you, then what do you think? Well, I guess I can do more, right? And, and that's the rub. The rub is well, no, you're supposed to have a, a, a high standard, a higher standard. The highest standard of obedience to God's love is holiness. Have a high standard. How do we do this? We fix our hope in Christ. The idea here in, in this, this, this wording, fixed hope, is it's one word really. It's, it, it's not a separate thing, which, which is really very interesting because you think about, well, you know, why well, I, I hope this happens. When you say things like that, it doesn't really have any meat to it, right? There's no teeth to, well, I don't know, I, I, you know, I, I hope the Seahawks win tonight. There's, you know, there's nothing really there, but there's a difference with the fixed hope. Okay, there's, there's a, an anchored hope that we have in Christ. So we can expect, we can trust, we can have sure faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, beautiful definition of what faith is. Faith is the assurance of hope. Wait, faith? I thought faith was blind, random, nothing. I just have faith. No, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is, I am sure I have a fixed hope. I have a conviction, a conviction of things not seen. 
So I have a conviction that there's a God. I have a conviction of Jesus Christ, even though I haven't seen Him. But I'm fully, utterly convinced. That's biblical faith. And so we have a fixed hope. In what? In Christ. Verse 13. Fix your hope how much? A little bit? Some of it? Partial? Completely. Your hope is completely fixed on what? On grace. Not on how amazing you are, how great of a preacher you are, how much money you give, how many times in a row you've been to church, what a beautiful singer you are, you know, what mercy mission you've been on, how many times you've been to Africa. None of that is there. None of it. You're to fix your hope completely, utterly, totally, all of it on grace. To be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We, we, we only know this because it's been revealed to us through Christ and Christ alone. So our hope is fixed because it's based on this free gift of grace. That's already been performed. The transaction has already been performed. So we anchor, we tie into that fixed hope. How can we then be holy and obedient? How are we holy and obedient? We, we, we gird our minds, we're, we're sober-minded, and we have a fixed hope. Those are our three pillars. So, as we go on to begin the, the new year, we, we just get a little taste, a little touch. Verse 14, as obedient children, because that's our goal, we're not just trying to be holy to be holy. That was the mistakes the Jews made. It's the mistakes that the, the Amish make, right? We're just going to... Isolate ourselves from the, from the world the monastic priests made. I'm going to go alone by myself in a desert and just sit in a little room or a cave and just, you know, beat myself every day. No. We're called to be obedient children. Not just escapism. How? Do not be conformed to the former lusts which you, which were yours in your ignorance. We're studying Corinth right now. And Corinth is a mess, right? They got all these Romans, they got all these people, these Greeks from Corinth. They, they've got Jews, they've got traders, they've got mariners, they've got all kinds of people from the world, all in this big old, you know, ball of confusion. Sounds like Seattle, okay? Sounds like America. And so, there's a lot of Former lusts. There's a lot of former sin. They've done it all. All of it under the sun. Things that you couldn't even imagine. If you can imagine that. But look, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts. Which was the way you lived when you were ignorant. When you didn't know any better, you know better now. Everybody in this room knows better. You, you, you know better. But, here's your call. Here's your command. Here's your exhortation. But, like the Holy One who called you, be yourselves also in all your behavior. Not some of it. The mistake I made when I was a believer, when I was a new believer, and 
you know, I was growing in Christ and getting up early and, and, and reading the word and going to Bible studies and, and meeting Christian people. And then it was, you know, you know, three o'clock and all right, it's time to be on the baseball field. Jesus, put him in the bag over here and let's play ball. And the F-bombs and the, everything else, just let her rip, right? Because there's a separation. Okay, well, that's different. No. Look, be holy in all your behavior. Whether you eat or drink or whatever it is that you're doing, be holy. Get your mind right. Why? Verse 16, because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This isn't your daddy telling you. This isn't your wife. This isn't your mom. This, this is God saying, look, you are called to be holy because I said so. That's my standard. That's my standard. And I know that there's sin in the camp, and I've made provision for that. But, but I want you to have a very, very high calling, a very high calling. Walk in a manner worthy of Christ who died on the cross for your sins. Verse 17, And if you address the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. I love that phrase. You know, this is a short time of stay. It's, it reminds me of a hotel. Did you enjoy your stay, your three-day stay? Did you enjoy your one-night stay? Oh, yes, it was lovely. This is just a temporary stay here on earth. This is temporary. This is, believe it or not, very, very short. So be holy. Conduct yourselves right. Here's, here's a help. In fear. In fear. Have a healthy sense of awe of God. Don't be afraid of daddy. Be afraid of God. Daddy doesn't see everything. Daddy doesn't know everything. God does. You can't lie to God. You can't be in secret to God. Verse 18, knowing that you were not, again, back to the beginning of 1 Peter. Listen, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Your sin wasn't paid for with cash. It wasn't paid for with a check, with money that's that's meaningless, that has no value because you know what? You sin at a, at a lot faster pace than what you earn cash-wise. No, you were redeemed with perishable things, not with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile, futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But, 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 but. This is why we don't serve in fear, but we serve in love. But with the precious blood listen Jesus Christ loved you so much so much that he gave his own blood he didn't use a lamb he didn't use a calf he didn't use somebody else he became the lamb he was perfect verse 19 as a lamb unblemished no flaws spotless was the blood of Christ So we should be driven, driven by this awe and respect and love and gratitude that we were purchased with this precious blood. Verse 20, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but appeared in these last times. Why? 
Read it this way. For my sake. Jesus came on earth to die to pay the price for sins for me. For me. And you know what? The flip side of that, he died on the cross and suffered the humility and the shame because of me. Because of my sin. Just me. But the truth is it was for all of us. For you, for me, for all of us. For our sake. Verse 21. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so that's how we begin the year. We begin the year by girding our minds by being clear-headed, sober in spirit, by fixing our hope and understanding the precious blood that was spilled on our behalf. That should drive us to want to be holy, to want to be obedient children.